And we're on the air in five, four, three, two, one. Pencil. We are beginning to be able, cautiously and with our eyes open, to encourage some interchange of ideas. We have to start thinking about tomorrow. I've heard that somewhere. We must act today in order to preserve tomorrow. And let there be no misunderstanding. Our objectives are clear. Well, I'd like to go in Russia and show them this rock and roll people. Hey, uh, welcome. This is the Here You Are Wassa podcast. I'm your host, Dino, and I'm here with... Hey, I'm Eric. And uh, so we were, we both read, I assume we both read Pitchfork, you and I, because I think that's where this idea came from. Probably, yeah. And uh, so I was thinking about it, you were thinking about it, sort of 10 influential records of our, we'll say, formative years. And so uh, so I, I, I thought I'd start with, so when do you think you first became aware of, uh, of music as a thing that you had preferences in? Oh, shit, I don't know. I mean, it's always been, I, I, I've always been it's always had some sort of influence on me for as long as I can remember. I didn't always own records or, you know, we're old enough to say cassettes. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was always recording stuff off the radios and Oh shit. Making oh, God. little mixtapes. Oh, God, that changes. You just changed my list altogether. Shit. Yeah. Okay. Right? Fuck. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, that helps me. Um, <laughs> but, uh, cause see, like I, I'm trying. I was trying to remember because I'm I'm very apparently old, and so I was trying to go like really back to the formative thing, like you know, like sixth grade or you know, like try to remember that shit, and so that that was harder than I thought it was, you know. So see, I started many years ago. I started writing. Um, which seems very pretentious, but I started writing memoirs okay. for myself. But because I've just, you know, you run into these fun little stories about yourself and you right. think, well, that's, that's kind of funny. Maybe it's not to everybody else. But if you write it right, it could be a funny story to just about anybody. But what, what was different about what I write every once in a while is that it was tied to music. Okay. And I haven't figured out how to do that. But so you take... You know, you go back to 84, for instance, and you, you start writing a couple of funny stories, telling a couple of funny stories about yourself during that time and weaving it into the music of the time that had some sort of formative influence on what was going on in your life at that time and, and the person that you become. So in my research, I have these huge lists of artists that I used to listen to back to the early 80s okay. as a reference point as I'm writing these stories. So it was a little bit easier for me probably okay. because I've been doing this for years. So I was able to go back to these lists and say, okay, suicidal tendencies, yeah. 
I listened to a lot of suicidal tendencies in the 80s. Wow, really? That's amazing. That's a really yeah. cool thing to do. I, you know, as much as I sort of like document things and keep, you know, like keep a journal and stuff, I don't do that. I've, I've only started this year to sort of keep track of the, like keep a document of the music I buy and when I listen to it kind of to, to actively, somebody described it as protein listening versus carbohydrate listening. So like protein listening mm. is, you know, you sit there and you pay attention and it, you know, and it does something for you. Whereas carbohydrate listening, it, you know, you just put on, you hit your iPod and hit shuffle on Saturday and just let it go all day, you know. But yeah, lawn mowing. Yeah, that's exactly. Like lawn mowing, right? Right. Exactly. That's a perfect example. Just lawn mowing. You know. Yes, there's music happening, but to be fair, unless you're, you know, a weirdo dancing while you mow the lawn, you're, you know, it's only just sort of knocking down the other horrible sound. But yeah. <laughs> so, so you really, Jesus. So what's the then? What's the first record you remember buying? your money i don't do i really want to put this on yeah you really got to do it buddy i'm gonna do mine too i don't remember buying it myself but i remember the first cassette i had was air supply oh yeah yeah my it it started out weird and i don't know how i or why i liked air supply but i can remember the cassette it had a hot air balloon on it and it was a it had an orange orange uh, case okay yeah i don't I, i'd love the hell out of that record i, I don't really know why because i hear them now and it's like oh my god i can't right. stand this yeah. music well, but i don't it, it was what's interesting though is it's still very eclectic back then because the, i had very few cassette tapes okay. but a lot of it was really bad heavy metal like uh there was air supply i can remember having a uh, quiet riot okay. mental health I remember having Death Leopard. I don't. Oh, I, it, was it Pyromania? I don't remember. It was. I remember there being a triangle and there being some fire on the cover. I suppose I can Google it right now and find out exactly which record it was. And then uh, Huey Lewis Sports. Okay. Were the really the cassette tapes that I can remember having initially. See that? See that's fun because when I was doing the list. I had to, like, I really, I have a hard, I, naturally I have a hard time with sort of things like years and connecting decades and stuff together. It all sort of blurs together. And then the other thing is, like, I think part of this is people want to look back and feel cool. You know, like, dude, dude, I, like that, like that was a pretty, that was a pretty impressive admission right there. You know, like just to, to admit that, you know, it was that, you know, but, uh. Yeah, so for me, like, it was uh, sort of the the first tape, and this is going to be wrong, but the first tape I remember buying outside of the Columbia House 16 tapes for a penny deal. Right. Um, I, I, like, I skipped school for a day, and uh, 
And I bought uh, Run DMC Tougher Than Leather at Tape World nice. in the mall. Now, now, so the problem with that is that I think that that's bullshit that I'm actually just lying um, because there had to be something before that. You know, like, I, uh, you know, going to school every day, we would listen to tapes in my friend Jill's car and stuff like that. So it was, you know, like... I, I have a distinct memory of listening to uh, U2's The Unforgettable Fire over and over and over again at my friend Aaron's house. And it was really because there was a great ver- – and it was on a Maxell tape. Like we dubbed it off as somebody else. And, uh, and I just listened to the song Gloria over and over and over again. You cool. know? But uh, like I think the the – but sort of to come back to kind of the formative thing, you know, I have to like recording Dr. Demento off of the oh, radio. Yeah, right. See, yeah, as soon as you right? talked about recording off the radio, all of a sudden it was I was in eighth grade and I'm sitting in the in my friend Chris Studeman's basement and we're we're recording Dr. Demento songs. And that there that was such a small point in my life because I don't know exactly when I let it go, but I let that go pretty quickly. But there was a moment where, like, you know how you used to, I don't know if you were like this, but we used to be on the phone all night long just talking to different people. And so it was me and Chris Studeman hanging out at his house talking to Oralee Likes and Kelly Cohen at her house, and we were all listening to Dr. Demento, like, together. You know, and it was just this weird thing, you know, and uh, like Chris's Chris's older sister had uh, some ACDC tapes that we listened to, you know, in eighth grade. And that was a big like Hell's Bells was a big thing, you know, but uh, so did did you make a did you make a list? I didn't. Okay, I started to and then I realized that there was just too much. Yeah. So I'm looking at the Google sheet and I can just talk at okay. random at some of these things. I mean, did you say tougher than leather? Yeah. I got to go back to your point. Yeah, yeah. I call BS because that was 88. And right. See, that's the problem. No. It's it's this thing where like, okay, so I was 18 years old, you know. So, no. it, you know, what was the was Run's house before tougher than leather? That was on tougher than leather. Okay. So, yeah, cuz yeah, I I thought I skipped school one day to buy a Run DMC record, and but I, you know, whatever. I was a child, so I don't really remember. You know, <laughs> yeah, I yeah, that's funny. But uh, so so I gotta look up that Air Supply record. And yeah, see what it was when we would ride to school. My friend Jill was a year older than us, and she her she got a car, and so she was sixteen and I was fifteen. And uh, we would ride to school. She'd pick me up in the morning, and then we'd go pick up my friend Bill Fleischman. And uh, and we would listen to two tapes just religiously in the car. We would Dweezil Zappa recorded his first record back then, and it was called Having a Bad Day. And you can't buy it. Like, it's not on Amazon. I can't find a real copy on eBay. Nothing. Just he's completely disavowed it. And what's funny about it is, I think the reason that we we liked it so much was uh, he did a song with Bobcat Goldthwait, <laughs> and it was it was called "I Want a Yacht," and it was just hilarious, you know. 
And it was, you know, like the, the Zappa kids were sort of coming into their, you know, Moon Unit and Dweezil and the other kid. And, you know, they were all sort of recording records and, and becoming musicians on, and actors on their own. And the other, the other album that we listened to every day, and I actually still own it on tape, it was the Repo Man soundtrack. Wow. And the Repo Man soundtrack to this day is probably one of the, the greatest records of all time. Really? You know, like it has the plugs and the Dead Kennedys and Black Flag. It has the it has the first it's the first time I listened to or I heard suicidal tendencies institutionalized. You nice. know. All I wanted was a Pepsi and you wouldn't give it to me, you know. And uh yeah, just uh Pablo there's a song in there called Pablo Picasso was an asshole. Um yeah, just all this great like there's a song on there about from fear about government cheese. Yeah, I just it's it was one of those things that we lit like Joe would pick me up and I lived on one side of, of the school and we drove and picked up Bill and we literally listened to it and she had a a Subaru XT coupe. So if you're listening, you should Google the Subaru XT coupe because it was like a space shuttle car. She she debated between getting a Pontiac Fiero and a in this car. And so they, you know, but uh, yeah. So, so do you have the Google doc open? 1981. Okay. I'm still looking for that air supply record. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of stuff like, you know, I think I discovered that replacements in the early eighties. Really? There was, yeah. I mean, new order. Yeah. See that stuff. Yeah. Like New Order and Erasure. I remember girls would bring that. We'd like pick up girls in the car and they'd have a tape of New Order or Erasure or Bauhaus. Yeah. And well, uh, and, you know, that was that was also when Candy Girl was released. So, you know, I fell in love with New Edition back then. And, oh. I mean, there was there were things like, you know, U2's Under a Blood Red Sky was released in the early 80s. Right. And I don't really know where I heard all of this stuff. Right. Like well, I new, mean, I, new I think order, Mad- or, maybe even the replacements. You know, I, I would go to these YMCA dances all the oh, time, and yeah. I think that's where I would hear this music because I certainly didn't play it on the radio. Right. But MTV here. was a thing when we were kids. Yeah, but we didn't have cable. Oh, you did? Okay. All right. So I would always have to go over to other people's houses and hear it. So I mean, it wasn't something where, you know, kids at that age, they're not. At that time, they weren't sitting and watching TV for hours and hours right. at a time. You'd go over, you'd watch it for a little bit if it was raining, but otherwise you'd be outside playing. So, right. I just, I'm not really sure where I heard all of this music. Maybe it's just music that I'd heard years later and thought, oh yeah, I remember listening to that then, but never really did. Yeah, for me, one of the thing when I was making the list, one of the things, the funny things that came up was uh, being introduced to the Violent Femmes. Yep. And so for me, uh, in 10th grade, my parents sent me, let me be an exchange student in Spain for a, a long period of time. And I discovered the Violent Femmes in Spain, not in America, of all things. Wow. I was in a bar in uh, Valencia, and the bar was called Mikonos. And, uh, and all of a sudden, like, there's American music on the, on the jukebox or being played. And I'm like, what the hell is this? And they showed me the tape, and it was violent, the first Violent Femmes record. And I just remember thinking, this is amazing music. And not having any idea 
that it was from Wisconsin. You know, just none. <laughs> and, and they apparently didn't either because it never came up. So, yeah. But And then that band went on to become sort of one of those seminal bands that I've, you know, loved so much and, and encouraged somebody to spend a bunch of money to bring to Wausau. So. Nice. Yeah. Who, who now sells ads for? Yes. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> what I think is interesting about this these lists is is uh here let me while i'm talking try to share this with you yeah so you can see what's on it um what i think is interesting is i didn't i i maybe didn't understand what was going on when i was hearing these songs because like 84 for instance the, aside from hip-hop changing my life there were things like you know there was a lot of black flag released in 84 right it was you know that's when purple rain came out that's yep. when Chardet was big. There was, there were a lot of things like that. That, you know, even things like, uh, well, the Smiths. Who else was? There was some, almost things that would influence my, like Rockwell. Do you remember Rockwell? Oh yeah. Yeah. See things like that. I think really influenced me later in life to enjoy EDM okay. and house music, which at the time I didn't really realize. I just thought it was a fun song but you know as you as you grow as you continue listening to these sort of things i think that those types of songs really changed who i was or helped me grow into who i was yeah see for me i when when you talked about uh i don't know exactly what we said in the beginning that sort of triggered me but uh it was uh duran duran the reflex oh yeah so now the deal is like that was a like they made a big deal on MTV about the fact that uh, they were going to uh, un you know debut a new record and I remember sitting there waiting or debut a new video I remember sitting there waiting for <laughs> you know the video to come on and just like Simon it was this it's the weirdest shit Simon Lebon's jacket I just thought that's the coolest jacket I've ever seen and to this day that's still probably the coolest jacket I've ever seen you know right or uh or like um like because uh, I was looking trying to figure out that's off that is off of uh the Duran Duran album Seven and the Ragged Tiger but before that was the big smash Duran Duran record Rio which had, we'll just say, the dirty video, where right. you know, like, and it was dirty because like there were tongues when they kissed, and whatever you know, when you're 14 <laughs> years old, that sets you off for two years. You know, let me tell you, <laughs> that that powered many of uh, a self care session, shall we say? But you know, it was, yeah, it was Duran Duran or, uh, oh God. The Outfield. There was a band called The Outfield. Oh, sure. And they played in Wausau. Really? They played at the Wausau West. Hold on, I gotta make sure I'm right. The Outfield. But I think if I'm remembering them correctly, uh, yep, I'm not remembering them correctly. So, God, there was a band that played like. Uh, I'm going to say mouth organ. That's horrible. But uh, they played like a little keyboard and they blew into it at the same time. 
and they oh. had a, and they had a pop hit. Hmm. Yeah, but uh, yeah, the out, but the outfield was a big deal. So I got one of those. I got one of those as a as a wedding present. Do you remember what it was called? No. Okay. So yeah, because whoever that was that played that thing in their big single, hmm. that they played at Wasa West. So yeah. Wow. But uh, ministry. I sent you. I Ministry sent you that link to that Google. Was in 1983. Fuck. Wow. Jesus, I'm, I'm scared of that band today, and I'm 45. You know, but like looking at this. So 1983, I was 13 years old. I would have not paid any attention to the Cure, or Husker Du, or fucking the Cocteau Twins. Too right. short. I would have known about, but only known about it because. But yeah, Huey Lewis in the news, that was a big, like, you know, like I remember like the faces or the, you know, the personalities of the members of that band because they were on MTV and somehow, you know, they became these characters. But yeah, really, you listened to Killing Joke when you were that young? No, no. Okay. See, some of these are based, some of these I I um, found later in life. Because holy crap, that would have fucked you up as a kid. No, yeah, no. Killing Joke, Water Boys, even Cocteau Twins, those were things that I I used to know a woman that listened to those types of yeah. things. So they Houdini. became a part of my collection for a while. Yeah, Houdini was a big deal. That was you right. know the the song uh Freaks Come Out. Oh yeah. You know that Freaks was come out at night. that was my uh that was my introduction to Houdini, so yeah. Fat but the boy. things that are interesting is, that, you know, it's like the ministry, it's the minor threats, it's the black flags. They right. weren't huge parts of my life. I mean, I was a skater at the time, so yeah, I listened to them often, but they weren't my go-to favorites. Right. I liked them, but they weren't, you know, that wasn't what I was clamoring to listen to. But later in life, they become, you know, what what drives me right. musically. So I just think that's interesting. Yeah, one of the one of the formative records that made it onto my list was LL Cool J Radio. Yeah. Because that was a that was a big deal record for me. Cuz that was, you know, played it over and over and over again in the car with my friend Steve Oswald and stuff and we just yeah, that was a I still have the the tape the original tape from my childhood and I have the tape for Bigger and Deffer as well. See, that was the formative one for me. Yeah. I remember radio from, from the Crush Groove movie. Yep. But I didn't really discover LL until the bad record. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah, it was. It, but again, that was like my gateway to hip hop was Columbia House and Spin Magazine. Like early Spin Magazine wrote extensively about hip hop magazine or about hip hop music. So. Yeah. Like. I, I have on my list, it's uh, one of the formative records is DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince, the al- the tape Rock, Rock the, the House. house. That yeah. was an amazing record, you know? And I just remember leaning over to my little brother and going, these dudes are going to be famous, you know? Because, man, it was about as pop as you could possibly be, you know? But it didn't feel like it like it does today. No. No, not at and all. And there was and there was DJ stuff. See, my one of the stories in this memoir that I talked about was discovering hip hop for the first time, which was in a hotel in DC, and 
I'd never heard anything like it before, and it was the Fat Boys. Right. That, I mean, to learn that they were making those kinds of sounds with their mouth, and to hear this strange lyrical flow surrounded by these skyscrapers and traffic, it was just, it was too much. And yeah, it just oh. took over my life. Yeah, Cool Modi. You know, like it oh, was yeah. the Cool Modi versus LL rivalry. That mm-hmm. was a thing that took that was a part of my life as a oh, yeah. 16 year old, you know, like just trying to trying to come up with a reason that LL Cool J was bigger than Wild Wild West when, you know, oh, yeah. like, Jesus, that's that's the greatest song ever. But don't tell anybody because Spin Magazine says LL's winning. OK, just going to go with that, you know, or uh, yeah, Ice-T rhyme pays. You oh, know? yeah. Sitting in sitting in Spanish class, showing a buddy the Ice T Ryan Pays cover, or what was funny about Ryan Pays though is that it started my separation between West and East. Okay, I remember a friend of mine. He would always buy CDs. I think that was the first CD he bought. Remember they came in the big long cases. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. So that was the first CD that he'd bought that I'd ever seen. And I remember being Ryan Pays, and we would listen to that thing endlessly. Yep. Even Ice T's Power. We'd be right. listening to that stuff endlessly. But I would always come back and say, you know what? It's not as good as Rock Him. Right. It's not as good as Cool G Rap. Right. There's always something East that's better. Oh yeah, I was I was right there. I'm and you know it was a completely like iced tea power. Just how how are you not going to buy that? Like if you're a 15, 16, 17 year old boy, <laughs> you have to buy that album because oh yeah, look at that cover. Holy there's shit! Ass on it. You gotta... There's a gun and there's that woman and it's that. And colors is on that record, I think. Right? Is colors on power? I don't know. I gotta find out. Yeah, I don't think so. No. I don't know. Yeah, it's no, it's not. Oh God! But you know what is on it? I'm your pusher. What a great, oh, yeah. what a great song. That is, that's the only song I and yeah, that's the only song and the syndicate. Those are the two songs on there that I remember. Yeah. Did you see Body Count? Did you see Body yeah. Count has a new record out? Right. I don't know how I feel about that. I saw those guys. Like, we saw, I saw them a couple of times. Obviously, on Lollapalooza, I saw them a lot. But uh, I took my little brother to see them in Green Bay before Lollapalooza. And they were they were great, you know. But I don't know. It was, yeah, I, I just don't know. I've, I've never, because it's metal music doesn't do anything for me. And so, yeah. But. Ice tea, man. I'm your pusher. What a great fucking song. Yeah, it's but yeah. Then you look at Ryan Pays, and that's just a heavy, heavy album. Yeah. So my the uh, what else is on the list here? Uh, David Lee Roth, his solo record "Eat 'Em and Smile," because it had not familiar. Oh yeah. So it's he. It was the first record he made after he left Van Halen. And so uh, my friend Bill, 
I don't know exactly what how we came to this, but at some point we both wanted to move our bedrooms like downstairs in our parents' houses. And so the only place I could put mine was outside the laundry room. So like I put a cot in my parents' laundry room and they let me decorate the walls and stuff. And like I just remember putting the CD box up on the wall for that, you know, and I'm, no idea why, but yeah. And then uh, it was that, and then the very first Van Halen record, Van Halen, Van Halen, because of the two, because of the song that stands out for me was Atomic Punk. At the time, that was the song that really connected to me for whatever reason. I think it's probably because it had the word punk, and it's you know Atomic sounded science fictiony. Who the hell knows? <laughs> Um, and then there was a, an eight track that took that uh, helped raise me call, from Frank Sinatra, um, Frank Sinatra live at the Sands. So when my parents' uh, bar and hotel got demolished in Wausau to make room for the mall, uh, my dad brought the stereo from the bar home and it had it installed in our basement, and it had an eight track player. And the only eight track that we that my friend Aaron and I liked was or would listen to was this a track from Frank Sinatra called Sinatra live at the sands. And we'd listen to it over and over again all day long while we just played ping pong for days and end. We just played constant. We played ping pong constantly. And we listened to that, that a track tape constantly. So, yeah. And what you were six when you went to see the sinatra concert yeah i was six when i saw a sinatra concert my parents took me to see sinatra when i was six at mccormick place in chicago yeah it would that was completely wasted on me as a six-year-old but because all i really have strong memories of was the cab ride to mccormick place and then buddy rich the drummer who opened the show so See, but that was a big musical experience for oh, you. Yeah. That's why I say, yeah. you know, to run DMC in 1988 was BS because I'm sure there was, there was more oh, yeah. formidable stuff before that. Right. Like, do you, so do you remember the do you remember the first Public Public Enemy album? Oh yeah. Okay. Definitely. What was the first Public Enemy album? Well, it was Yo Bum Rush the okay, show. Good. All right. Good. Right. Yeah. So because a lot like I was trying to decide. I was thinking about. Come it. on. Yeah, seriously who are you saying, talking to right but that was that was before hank and keith shockley really became the bomb squad if you listen to that record it's not what yo uh it's not at all it doesn't sound at all like it takes a nation of millions oh no it's but it's like my uzi weighs a ton uh like there's songs about cars there's a song yep. on there about a car my 98 yeah my 98 oldsmobile yeah, that was, you know, and it, but it was, bef- right, exactly, right. It took uh, me years. It's taken me decades to find that record again because I got rid of all of my cassettes right. and whatever's throughout the years. It's taken me decades to find that record again, but I finally have found it. It's like, oh, this is nice. Yeah, it is. It's amazing. But, yeah, just sitting there listening to Public Enemy, like the cover, the cover art for that – they're like all sitting around like a desk lamp or something, you know? Still scary as hell, though, yeah, right? And, yeah, and Chuck is wearing a white baseball cap with the lid yeah. flipped up. And I'm like, yeah. what the holy hell is that, you know? But The content might not be the same as Millions, but no, that was that was still a scary crew. Right. And I, I can just imagine, so like if you were 15, 16 years old discovering the Fat Boys or 
P.E. Can you imagine being 15 years old and hearing Wu-Tang? No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't I, know what to do with I, it. Yeah, I'm 45 and I've got a lifetime in hip-hop and I don't know what to do with Wu-Tang. You know, <laughs> like, like, I don't know what you're saying, but it sounds cool. I, you know, I, hey, I heard a Kung Fu reference. All right, good, you know. Other than that, I have no idea what any of those, any of those albums are in the Wu-Tang universe, but I have them all. You know, so there. If you go back, go back and listen to ODB's record. That's even worse. Right. Yeah. I have. I have that ODB, the CD, the one where he's like his uh, driver's wealth, license. No, that's his welfare card. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, Remember right. that was the that's big right. deal. He was yeah. getting like he was going to get welfare checks cashed right. while he was a member of Wu Tang. You know, right. calling it free money. You know, so. Yeah, yeah, I remember seeing that on MTV. You know, like when Shimmy Shimmy Ya came on, just like going, "What the holy fuck is that? What is this?" You know, just I just can't imagine what it would have been like for a thirteen, fourteen year old boy in Wisconsin to look up and go, "What the hell is that?" You know, to see ODB on television. You know, I I feel bad for kids today why because well because i have a six-year-old daughter so i listen to a lot of this stuff that's on the radio now sure i listen to the kids pop records that remake all of these songs and the fact that they can do it better these this group of unknowns that just re-record songs that are on the radio that sound better than the ones often sound better than the ones that are on the radio it's a sad state what are the kids what are the kids doing? You know, one of the things that was – we talked about doing this podcast and I started to think about what records were formidable for me in, during my teenage years. And the one thing I kept coming back to was I lost my driver's license a hell of a lot when I was a teenager, five, six, seven times for various reasons. And I was in lifeguard training throughout the summer. So I would teach swimming lessons – in the morning at Memorial Pool, and then I would spend the rest of my afternoon overseeing swimmers at John Muir. Okay. But I didn't have a license. So I'd have to walk from Memorial to John Muir. And I could do it in just the amount of time that I needed to get from one place to the other. And I would listen, I'd, I'd carry my Walkman and I'd listen to all of these things that, along the way walking down Grand Avenue, walking down, you know, up and down 12th Street Avenue, whatever it was. And uh, I listened to a lot of music at that time. That really built who I am as a person. And I just don't see music today doing that for people. Maybe that's because I'm old and I hear this crap on the radio that's just, it's, it's robotic. So it's sad. Yeah. I, I mean, for me, it's this, you know, like I have, I have roughly the same experience because we were both lifeguards. So I would get done, I would get done tending bar at my dad's at the 19th hole because I'd go in and start tending bar at six in the morning in the summertime. And then at noon, I would walk down to Rothschild Pool where I was a lifeguard and I would listen to the radio all god damn day long yeah and now to this day like duff damos who lives up in rhinelander apparently 
Tough Damo. Who is that? I know he, that name. He used to be on WIFC. He was okay. the, he was the big jock on WIFC back then. Okay. And I just like I have an allergic reaction to that fucker's voice, you know, <laughs> because we would sit all day long and listen to it because that's what you know that's what we did at the pool. You just leave it on. You lifeguard all summer, and it would get to the point where like we were aware of when it when the playlist that the radio was playing would start over during the day, you yep. know. So like, uh, do you remember? Like I remember specifically, and it happened when I was in college. I think when. Uh, Guns N' Roses wrote that song for the Terminator movie. Uh, I no. think I think the song, or maybe they just "You Could Be Mine." Yeah, "You Could okay. Be Mine" was a, a a song that they recorded for Terminator Two, for Terminator Two, and uh, like I just remember hearing that on the radio, going, "I love this song," you know. <laughs> and the video was super. Like there was a thing I like. I really liked the video as well, you know. But uh, yeah, I just. Uh, I, I don't feel like I, I used to feel really bad for for young people in music, you know, like, hey, you, you're not going to ever get a chance to see the Ramones or, you know, social distortion has changed. And you're never going to see when it was good and all that sort of stuff. But I and I and I've sort of decided, fuck it, they're on their own. You know, if if you guys think that, you know, Katy Perry or the Migos or, you know, Sean Paul is what you really want to spend your time with. Yeah, okay, I can't, I can't really help you, you know. And it's it's when you have a discussion with somebody and they, with a young person, and they, you know, shit on, you know, your idea of trying to be cool about their music. It's like, look, you know what, I get it. You, you guys have giant, Coachella is a thing. And, and I imagine kids go to Coachella, do drugs, have sex, and get their minds blown by music, you know. I try, like, every year when I'd go to Riot Fest, I went to Riot Fest this year. And there were young kids seeing bands like Dillinger Escape Plan and, and all these rock bands. And I'm like, yep, I look around and I'm seeing them get their minds blown. And I'm super happy about that. You know, like I just saw the Japan Droids. Yes, we just, Eric just missed a show. Cause, Fuck off. Yeah, I just saw the Japan Droids at the Majestic. And I at one point I looked over and I told my, I said to my friend Joe, I'm the oldest person here. And thankfully, by the time the show started, I wasn't the oldest person there. But like there was a, it used to be like where I'd go to shows and I'd look around and I'd see the old guy and I'd be like, good for that old dude. And now I'm that old dude, you know, <laughs> but like there were like the Japan droids were absolutely mind blowing, just absolutely mind blowing. And I just thought there's a bunch of kids here on a Monday night and this is cool. I'm, I trust that this is cool, you know, but but yeah, you're right. There There isn't. Kids aren't going to hear Chuck D for the first time. Like, no, I don't know of any hip hop artists who are going to be as culturally impactful as when the Yo Bump or when the uh, Fight the Power video came on for the first time. You know, like that was impactful because it was on television. You know, like that was like music television played music videos, or like I was at. Uh, my friend Tra childhood for this i was really young i was at my friend travis earl's house uh one halloween night i slept over at his house halloween and we watched mtv and mtv broadcast a live ozzy osbourne concert on halloween and it was you know it was ozzy osbourne and it was all like scary as hell but it was just a really crazy drunk old guy you know rocking out on television you know 
but still drunk, crazy right. drunk old guy at that time yeah right and he's well, still touring today right but when you're when you're young and impressionable because we had right. to be really young like really young and uh and just remembering it was you know like that that guy's got no shirt on that guy's got no shirt on on television and he's got devil tattoos like that was that was mind-boggling at the time so yeah yeah but it's it's, it's funny. Just, you know it was the newness of it all too oh, you sure. know it's like the mc hammers and the vanilla ices that were radio popular right that i think that's part of what made it exciting my yeah. little walk from memorial to john muir was never radio it was always, you know, cassettes of right. some band that I like. It was a Paul's Boutique. It was The Cures, Disintegration. It was always some record that I couldn't live without. Right. But the thing of it is, you know, some of these bands were on the radio because we were still discovering what hip-hop was. It was still new and fresh and exciting. And I just don't see that these days. MC Light, Light as a Rock. Oh, hell did you did you own uh two live crew yeah unfortunately i did too yeah god that was horrible but yeah that, that was the same time i would sit in the john muir locker room and i would just i would rock that shit so loud greatest greatest record ever yeah exactly <laughs> at the time Great- I, thought, I, listen, I listen to it now and it's like I, I can't stand it greatest record cover at the time yeah you know? right but yeah like there was one do you remember the one before that no. What was it called? Oh, I'm gonna have to find that now. Look out. Um, that was even worse, because I think they sampled pornos. Okay. Cool Modi, um, how you like me now? Oh. One, I probably had every record in that recited or every lyric memorized. In ex- see in excess, in excess kick. Wow, that was a huge like. I just ordered that on CD. No, no, I ordered it off of Amazon Prime. That wow. record just, wow, you know, man, that was that was great shit. Janet Jackson, Eddie Money. That was "Take Me Home Tonight" by Eddie Money. That was a song. That's a song I remember. John Cougar Mellencamp. Yeah, I don't know why some of that some of that stuff is just okay. I copied and pasted a list from. Yeah, but John Cougar Mellencamp, I yeah, that was his John Cougar Johnny Cougar hurts so good. That first video, I remember that being sort of dirty because there was a there's a biker woman in a tank top. So he was John Cougar. He was John Cougar when we were growing up. Yep. Then he was John Cougar Mellencamp, and then he was John Mellencamp, the Dead Milkman. Aww. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Punk rock girl. Yeah. That's... Remember how influential movie albums were too. Like soundtracks to movies always seem to be much more popular than they are now. Oh, now yeah. we have them and they just I don't they don't really do a whole lot. But I remember back in the day, you know you'd have somebody that you liked on a on a movie soundtrack and you you just couldn't wait till that single came out. Right. Cassette single. Cause singles. Cause, yeah. Because it always had the remix on the others on the B side. The B side of the single, yes. Oh yeah, I remember that. Oh yeah, I, yeah, cause singles, that's great. What a, <laughs> uh, what's I think the last cause single I bought was House of Pain. Oh yeah, 
Um, because it, and I bought it because it had the Butch Vig remix of something, you know, nice. one of their songs, you know. But uh, yeah, House of Pain. That was I miss those dudes. You know, <laughs> that's those are you know those are records I put on and I'm like ah oh, these guys are good and the like uh, I also have the tape I I have the Syndicate tape that remember when Ice T put out a group called oh, sure. Syndicate. And right. that's that's where I first discovered Everlast. He was he was in the syndicate. Was he really? Yeah, yeah. And uh, he know. was the only white boy in the syndicate. And yeah, he was there and oh yeah, that was the syndicate record was really good. Yeah. So, do you have it? Did you did you keep any of your mixtapes that people made for you? No. I have, let's see. My friend Amanda made one for me and I still have it. I don't have a tape. Well, no, I do have a tape player. Um uh, she made me one, and some some girl I met on the internet sent me one. Uh, ta, uh, Marcus Nickel, the the guy who painted the mural at Scott Street, he made me a mixtape once. Even then, just that I for whatever reason that's weird, but you know. <laughs> but yeah, he made me a mixtape. But yeah, yeah, God. So what do you think if if between before college, what's the most influential record you listen you can remember? Wow. Why don't you go first? Let me think of that about that. First. So I think it's, uh, for me, the, the most influential record before college is a tie between the Repo Man soundtrack and uh, Public Enemy, It Takes a Nation of Millions. Thomas McGonian, are you ready for the Death Jam tour? Let me hear you make some noise! In concert for BBC Television tonight and a fresh start to the week. Let me hear you make some noise for Public Enemy! Oh, yeah, that was good. Because Public Enemy's It Takes a Nation of Millions was so unusual to my ears that it, like, everything gets measured sort of by that sonic, because that's got... You know, huge industrial tones to it, huge meta- like guitars and banging drums and stuff like that. And it's like, okay, that's that's everything. It takes a nation of millions is sort of everything that I love in a great record. You know, like I think that's the reason that Japan Droids is so cool because it just seems like it's got all of those. It's got so many of those elements in one thing. So, not to again bring back a, an episode that you missed a concert for. Again, for those that missed it, fuck off. <laughs> Gangstar, the moment of truth. Jesus Christ. Yeah, great record. So, I don't know exactly when I'm looking at this list and trying to think of when it came out. So, the the before college influential record would have been Paul's Boutique. Yeah. And I'm sure there was... The, the, Cure was in there somewhere. I was a big Cure fan. Um, but yeah, Paul's Boutique was just something else. Yeah, that ha- so I'm I'm that I I I tie Paul's Boutique to college for some reason. You know, so because because there was a great tour of Europe with uh, the the Beastie Boys, the Rollins Band, and the Red Hot. No, the Beastie Boys, the Rollins Band, and Cypress Hill toured europe together 
and that was um, that was the Paul's that was one of the Paul's boutique tours because they were just playing as a band. The, the Beastie Boys were. Yeah. So. Yeah. See, I don't. I don't. I mean, I don't like a lot of those bands that you just mentioned, but right. it, it was their sort of reconnection to rock music. De La Soul. Oh man. And I think that was the same year that the disintegration came out okay. which i really liked i know you're not a big cure fan right. but there was there was the uh movie with ad rock lost sure. angels oh yeah absolutely which had a remix of fascination street that i was just really fascinated did. with and i think really that did. remix really became why one of the reasons that really just cemented my wanting to be a dj yeah i loved that movie that's a that's a great callback man ad rock and and Donald Sutherland. Oh yeah. And uh, who's the woman? I think it was Ioni Sky. Was it? Okay. Yeah. I'm gonna have to look now, but because that was before he met Kathleen Hanna. Yeah, that was just good music, good soundtrack, good I mean I was everything about the Beastie Boys at that point was they could do no wrong. Let's see. So, Donald Sutherland, Adam Horowitz, the blonde girl was Amy Locane, who I remember. Yeah. God, look at this shit. Just looking at the cast on Wikipedia. Adam Horowitz's brother, Andy Nottis Doolin. God. Huh? His, his nickname was Nottis. Adam Horowitz's brother. Wow. Yeah. And Adam, his character's name was Chino Doolin. Because remember, they fancied themselves to be, you know, Vato gangsters. That's right. Yeah. Wow. Jesus. Teen, dis- teen anger. Yeah. Kevin Corrigan was in that movie. I didn't know that. So, yeah. All right. Cool. Yeah. So, uh, do you got any endorsements? We never do them. Yeah. No, I don't. Okay. As long as we're consistent and not not endorsing anything, we okay. should. I should think more about it, but yeah. I just I don't do much. So good. I'm gonna I'm gonna endorse uh, one password. The app one password. So really, yeah, because I, I want to know why. So during the during the election, uh, my my boss, if you will, was hacked by Wik during the WikiLeaks hack. Right. And so her stuff all got leaked in the WikiLeaks. John Podesta email uh, dump. And so my name showed up in that WikiLeaks dump, and I'm like, well, fuck, how the hell? Let's get serious. And so we've been working on a a, a security project for act, activists and advocates and stuff like that. And what we've kind of come across is services like LastPass or 1Password are useful because randomizing your passwords is is very, very important, you know, and and keeping them safe in one spot that you can access is really important because like up until up until this I literally wrote all of my logins and all of my passwords in the front of my day planner calendar. So if somebody got my day planner calendar, they'd have literally everything they could ever want from me, you know. And so we we've, we've been focused on security a little bit in 2017. And, and it's really, you know, it's a cool thing. Like, I didn't get it at first. I'm like, why do I need to pay somebody $1.99 or two ninety nine a month 
to remember shit that I already remember. And then once you get to the idea of randomizing your passwords, then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, I'm not going to remember the 27 character password that we just created for Gmail's login, you know. But if I remember the one password to log into one password, it auto populates every time I have to log into something. Yep. So yeah, I've had it. I've had it on my phone for a while. I don't even know if it's on my phone anymore. I had it on for a while, and I just never found a use for it. So. Yeah, I think like my friend Seth had to explain it to me, and I'm like, I don't know why. Like I, but but then all of a sudden you realize. All of my passwords were sort of a variation on on the same password. Right. And when that when it's like that, you just think, okay, if somebody really decides to target me, it's that the distance between getting all of my passwords and the stupidness of that pa- that single idea password, that's a very short thing for a hacker to do. Right. Know? So, so now that I'm more security conscious, I, I you know I'm trying to do that. So. Yeah. Well, it's different when somebody you know has been hacked. Yeah. Makes right. it a little more real. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. But uh, All right. I'm going to go watch the preview for Lost Angels now. He was in the Equalizer TV show. Who was? Ad Rock. Really? I'm looking at his IMDb profile to see what he's been in lately. He had two movies out in 2017. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. So... Interesting. That's funny. So, all right. Good talking to you. All right, buddy. I'll talk to you later. Later. See ya.